Welcome to Stand Alone. I'm Sabrina Lloyd, founder and CEO of Lloyd Agencies, a multi-million dollar company that ranks as one of the most successful in the insurance industry. My passion is empowering people to become the leaders that they were meant to be. With each episode, I'll teach you how to go from ordinary to extraordinary, how to think like no one else, how to stand alone. It's time we create massive success for ourselves. So welcome everyone. We have the honor and privilege of having the honorable judge Janine with us today. And you know, when I think of someone who is so, you know, deep in her work for what she does for people and the, just the track record you have judge an attorney, a prosecutor, an author, but having a long distinguished career, being the first woman DA for Westchester, being the first woman to prosecute a murder case, created the first domestic violence unit for women. You know, what you were doing when so many of us were people being raised with just the idea of you have to get married and have children, you had bigger dreams at six years old, you dreamed about being a lawyer and you never let that dream die. And I know that you're fond of Ellie Wiesel and I wanted to quote one of his sayings where we must always take sides. Neutrality helps the oppressor, never the victim. Silence encourages the tormentor, never the tormented. So you take a stand and I love that about you. And that's what standalone is all about, taking a stand. So I welcome you today. It is such an honor to be in your presence of such a strong woman. So thank you for being here today. And I want to kick this off, Judge Janine, you know, what was it in that six-year-old girl where you never had someone's footsteps to follow? I always admire that about people when, you know, when we say, well, this person's doing it so I can do it too, but there's something very special about people that can stand alone, not actually see it, but create it for themselves. What in that six-year-old little girl in Elmira, New York said to herself, nope, I'm going to charge ahead. And this is going to be the path that I create for myself. Well, first of all, let me say that, that I'm thrilled to be on your podcast and I'm quite impressed with you as well. I mean, the kudos goes both ways. Uh, and, uh, and I apologize. I mean, I got off a plane very late last night. It somehow seems whenever I'm in Florida, the planes are delayed, the airport shut down, and then you just stay there in the hopes that you won't be sleeping there. I pretty much was and got in very, very late, but I'm thrilled to be with you. What was in that six-year-old? I'll tell you, uh, it was a strong mom. It was a mom who supported what I wanted to do and what I wanted to be. And, and you really hit a chord with me. Uh, when you said that, you know, so many of us are worried about, you know, getting married and being a beautiful bride and all that, which is wonderful. I mean, because motherhood and, and all that stuff and, and weddings is important. And it's, you know, for many of us, the fulfillment of a dream. And it matters not what you choose. What matters is that you're happy inside. I always had a drive. Uh, that drive came from uh, uh, being supported by a strong mom who herself 
was in many ways uh, discriminated against because she was a girl. Uh, my mom was born in this country and, you know, because she was one of four girls and not a boy, uh, they were sent back to the old country in Lebanon. And uh, the boy stayed here, got the college education, made a lot of money. It was a very wealthy family, but the girls were kind of sent away. And to a certain extent, Sabrina, I carry my mom's baggage. Uh, it was always kind of there, you know, well, why couldn't my mom do all that? Because she was a girl and she was smart. And for me, it was an inner drive along with that, 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 that seeing the, the, the discrimination and, and the, you know, inequality between women and men that kind of drove me throughout my career. Not as, a, not as a, an angry warrior, but pretty much a happy warrior. And when I became a young prosecutor uh, and I went to law school and it was a long time ago, I'll tell you, I mean, my kids say that they wrote the laws on stone tablets when I was in <laughs> law school. Uh, so, I mean, it was very unusual to be a woman uh, in a law school class. It was in the 70s. And uh, my kids were like, uh, you know, you know, mom, it was so long ago. It doesn't matter anymore, but it does. And, and I'll get to my point. Uh, yesterday, I spoke to about 2,500 high school and college students about how important it is to have that dream, to have that goal, to have that ambition, and not let anyone sway you. And to a certain extent, to to literally have blocks on on you know the people around you, the naysayers, and to just go forward with your dream because we live in the greatest country in the world. And I'm proud of it. I'm grateful to be a part of it. And we can accomplish our dream, you know, and, and we can do, I always say to my kids, you can do a two-step, whether it's a two-step on a dance floor or a basketball court or a federal court or whatever it is. And so for me, it was always, I wanted to be that lawyer. I wanted to be the person who helped people. And I used to watch Perry Mason. Uh, and now they have, you know, those shows on late at night. And the amazing part of Perry Mason, and if you'll indulge me for a second, because I became a prosecutor and assistant yeah. DA and the DA and, and a judge as well. But um, I used to always wonder how the DA, Hamilton Berger, I'm sure the, your viewers don't know who I'm talking about, but there was always the, the guilty party was in the back of the courtroom. The guilty party was never the indicted person who was on the stand subject to this, this cross-examination by a Perry Mason. And I kept wondering, how did Hamilton Berger, the DA, get, get reelected every year? Because the show was on 10 years. So, I mean, how did this guy get reelected? The DA kept indicting the wrong people all the time. You know, and the guilty party was in the back of the courtroom. And, you know, that was like the craziness going on in my life. So as a prosecutor, for me, it was always about making sure that, that we were right on in terms of who we indicted and why we indicted and, and prioritizing crimes against the silent victims and the hopeless people and the, the ones who weren't strong enough to fight back. And so my mission has always been to help, you know, the, you know, starting with my mom in the back of my mind, but the people who couldn't help themselves, you know, the elderly. I started a, a, a hate crimes bureau for victims of racial discrimination, the elder crimes. 
I started one of the first child abuse prosecution units in the nation because child abuse was seen as a social problem and not a criminal problem. And to me, uh, immersing a child in scalding water is a criminal problem. I don't want to keep the family together. I want to get the child out of that family. And domestic violence, you don't look the other way. And I started the first domestic violence unit in the nation. So for me, it was always those blinders that allowed my naivete to a certain extent to just say, no, it's not right. I'm going to keep going. You know, I'm going to make sure that, that my sense and my moral core is what drives me. And uh, it did for a long time, many years. Yes. You know, but the thing that you did so beautifully is you backed yourself up with education. You backed yourself up with intelligence. And, you know, when you're already a number one New York Times bestseller, and then you write another book, you know, you're, you're an acclaimed author. But what's so great about this book and why everyone should read it is because when you go to the footnotes and you understand how much work and how much preparation goes into it, it's the reason why your show is the most watched show on the weekends. You, you bring up Fox News to number one because people can trust your knowledge. And I think what a lot of people are missing today, and you know, standalone is about going from ordinary to extraordinary. I always say like, I was an ordinary little girl, but when I came to America, I knew this is not a place where you can just stay ordinary. You get the privilege of becoming extraordinary here. And so I never, I never felt entitled. I felt like I deserve it to myself, to this country, to do the work. And the fact that you do this work, the fact that you take the time to prepare and how you build your opening statement you just really go into detail. And so I think this is where trust comes from, you know, Judge. A lot of people are listening to sound bites today. They take this, you know, two second thing and they, it's manipulated for us. But I love the way you present your cases. I love the way you break down everything, but you bring it back so beautifully to something that we all care about, freedom. It, interesting. You know, you, you, it's very interesting what you said was, you know, you didn't want to be ordinary. In America, you get the chance to be extraordinary. And that, that, is, a, that is a comment that, you know, you really need to dwell on for a second because there's nothing holding us back in the United States. You know, to the extent that, that we've got problems, it's us holding ourselves back and not recognizing how great we are as a nation, how great it is to have a nation where people are presumed innocent until proven guilty, you know, where people are given the benefit of the doubt, although, you know, we're living in crazy times. But there, there's no question that it's my legal training. And, you know, I went to law school and, and there, were, there weren't that many women in law school when I was there. And, you know, and so I was law review and in college, I was Phi Beta Kappa and all that stuff. I was, I was striving to be good, almost as though, Sabrina, I was proving to myself and everybody that I deserve to be here. Whatever the motivation was, it worked for me because I, I didn't want people to think I had wasted that seat or that I was going to go to court with my baby in my arms. You know, there's crazy stuff that people say, but make no mistake, Sabrina, this kind of thing can go backwards in a second. So where New York City was one of the safest big cities in America, 
we're going to, to hell in a handbasket, if you'll excuse the phrase. So yeah. we can go back. And that's why we have to be ever vigilant. So in my opening statements, I'm a lawyer, I'm a prosecutor, I tried cases. It was, it was the happiest time in my career, it was walking into that court, I have goosebumps, isn't that interesting? Is walking, it's interesting to me, not to everybody out there. I no, I get it. It's a indulgent statement. But you walk into that courtroom and you say, I've got a case. I've got to prove that someone was victimized, that somebody hit them like a thunderbolt out of nowhere, and all of a sudden they're a crime victim. I've got to prove that this person, you know, victimized another human being. I've got to convince 12 people beyond a reasonable doubt. I can't lose one. And so my passion, my drive, my belief in what I was doing and, and what your what your viewers and your listeners need to know is that you have got to love what you do. I would get up every day as a prosecutor. Now, I'm not looking to put everybody in jail. I'm looking to I'm looking for a level playing field. You hurt someone. You're going to pay the price. I'm looking not to get another notch on my belt. I'm looking in some cases to interview a victim and say, no, this isn't, this isn't enough to go forward. People's civil liberties are at stake. People are gonna lose their reputation, their jobs, their families when you bring the weight of the criminal justice system upon them. So when you go after someone, when you indict someone, you better be right. You better be right. And so I understood that Lady Justice is, it's, she's a bad, she balances. You don't just go after everyone. And, you know, all of this stuff that's happening now with all women need to be believed. And oh, that's nonsense. That is nonsense. Everyone needs to be believed, but they need to be tested. And, you know, it's the old truth, but verify. We've got to test people. Are the circumstances such that they provide the listener with my conclusion? So that opening statement in a roundabout way as I'm telling you this is my legal training and my passion saying, I wanna bring the viewer along with me. I want that viewer to think and listen to my stats. And as you say, the footnotes in the book don't lie to me. So that they then can follow along and say, gee, Janine makes sense or Janine doesn't make sense. You know, and, and, they, and then they make the decision. But it's a wonderful thing to be in a position that you're in and that I'm in, where we have a voice, where we can say what we think, where, where we can express our opinion, where maybe I'm wrong, maybe I'm not right, maybe you're wrong, maybe we're not right. Go in with an open mind. Today in the world, it's crazy town. But, you know, get back to what are the facts? What is the conclusion? What should people believe? And that's my job. Yeah. And, and it really is like you were trained for this. Like yeah. it's for so many people that are lost today, what they have to understand is don't look at the end where you want to be like train, like no one else. So it becomes a part of you. And I believe your goosebumps come from, you can go back to that time yeah. and you have a great, um, you have a great story about when you would try cases and they would never allow you to try cases because you were a woman <laughs> yes. and, and judge, I can't say how amazing this is because you didn't even care that your name was on the file. 
You yeah. cared that you had the opportunity to train and to get like your feet in the game and play so you could build up that skill. And I tell everyone this, don't look at someone on the outside. What is dangerous is skill. What someone is doing, what you can't see, that's where the, the, the genius is. So while you were training, you were, you were, you were forcing yourself ahead and thank goodness you had the smarts to not be ego driven. Like, I'm not going to do it if I don't get credit for it. Could you break that down? Like when those, those men were telling you, and it isn't about (laughs) men versus women, it's about the time and you have to do what it takes. Right. And those men men telling you, you can't do this, but you're like, well, that's all I needed. Yes. you can't do it. I was like, oh, really? So, so just for, for your listeners um, and, and, and your viewers, I was in the appeals bureau and I was law review. So they put me in the appeal. They didn't know what to do with women. I was, I was, uh, I think I was the second female assistant DA. The first one was in the appeals bureau. And so I come in and I would sit with all the guys. We'd have our sandwiches at the table and uh, they say, you know, I don't want to go to local court. I have to drive all the way to Lewisboro or wherever. It's usually like 10 or 15, 20 miles, maybe from the center of the county. You know, I want to go out. I got this hot date or whatever they had, you know, and I'd sit there. I'd be eating my sandwich. And, and I remember just saying, and I wasn't Machiavellian. I wasn't even thinking about it. I said, um, I'll cover the court for you. And I remember the guy's name is Bob Delasho. And he said, how are you going to cover the court? You're in appeals. I said, well, I'll go to the court. I said, you can go out and I'll put your name on the file. And, you know, there weren't computers then. We're talking about the early 80s. And I said, um, and then he said to me, well, I've got a trial. You don't know how to try a case. I said, well, you never know. Maybe they'll plead guilty. So he, he gave me the file and I went up there and I had to try a case. It was my first case. But I, I ended up coming back. I put his name on the file, got a conviction and shocked to me. Um, and then I came back and, and Bob would sit with the guys and say, hey, uh, Piro over there, she got a conviction. She handled the case. And then for about a year, the guys would say, I'm going here. I don't want to do this. Put my name on the file. You go up there. Chief assistant then calls me about a year later and the scariest looking guy you've ever seen. And I, I walked in and I said, hi, Mr. Purcell. <laughs> Who the hell do you think you are trying cases? And I just sat down. I said, oh. They found out. And uh, so I just sat there. He said, how do you even know how to try a case? Well, this is where a little uh, ingenuity comes in. And I said, you know, Mr. Fussell, for two years, I've been in the appeals bureau and I've been reading all your briefs and you were a brilliant trial attorney. Everything I used in court, I learned from your transcripts. And he said to me, you are a sly fox. Which is the name of one of my books, and I've written seven. I'm working on my eighth. Uh, and at that point, I was able then to go out and try cases. But even then, they wouldn't give women a murder, a, 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 a woman, me. I was the only one, a murder case. They said women couldn't go for the jugular. <laughs> really? So when I tried my first murder case after I started the first domestic violence unit in the nation, in the nation, uh, I knew that if I didn't win that case, all of the women after me wouldn't be able to go into court and try murder cases. Well, I won that in every case after that. Uh, And it was, as I look back on it, it was very clever. 
but I didn't know it at the time. It was just inside of me. I wanted to do it. I couldn't be angry. I couldn't have a chip on my shoulder. They wouldn't respond to that. And I just, you know, subjugated my ego and did their work. And I didn't care because I loved it. I didn't care. And I think people need to, you know, put that ego to sleep for a little bit until they get to the point where they can throw it around a bit. Totally. You know, the, I used to have uh, someone that worked in my office and he was an attorney and he told me this uh, and I love this thing. He said, be careful whose feet you step on because one day they might be attached to the ass that you have to kiss one day. And so when all those men were telling you, you can't do this, you can't do this, you later on became their boss. You became the district attorney. And I I love this story because it just shows that, you know, in a world where I feel like trust is at an all-time low. And, you know, when you look at leadership, and I wanted to talk to you about leadership, because to me, I've learned that leadership is made up of two things. It's character and competence. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of people just talk about character and they say, well, you know, do do the right thing. And they can play on your feelings when they're talking about character and and helping everyone. But you also have to have competence. You have to be skilled at what you do. And those two things, you know, marrying together, Mm -hmm. I love that you're a a fighter for victims. Mm -hmm. I love that you have this leadership about you that blends character and competence. You know, in today's world where so many people want to be a leader, what can you say in working, you know, 30 years in law and order and in the criminal justice system, what can you tell people about why you need to have character, why you need to be skilled before you even dream about being in a leadership position? Because it's not this title or position that you're chasing. It's Mm -hmm. about doing the right thing and making sure that your character is in place to always fight the good fight. You know, one of the things that is so important for everyone is to have a, a moral core and a moral compass. And when you have that, you put a stake in the ground and you never cross it you make sure that you are always that same person because when you lose credibility, you lose everything. When you're not credible anymore. So, so picture this. So I become the district attorney. Um, I was a young woman, I, I don't know, maybe 40. Uh, and um, I was attractive. Uh, and I mean, it was everything that people didn't expect to see in the DA. There were 43 police departments. Every one of them had a police chief who was a man. Every one of those police chiefs had to, had to come to me to make sure their cases were prosecuted. Now, you know, I could have had a chip on my shoulder. I could have, you know, I could have said, you know, when I was an assistant DA, blah, 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 blah. No, no, you get rid of that. You get rid of the chips, you get rid of the anger, and you focus on being who you are and who you will always be. You're very clear. You're very clear on what you think and how you're going to run your office. Now I'm gonna tell you a story that would make a lot of women today angry. I was about to give, uh, to do a meeting. At the time I was an assistant DA, 
I started the first domestic violence unit in the nation. I was the only female assistant DA these chiefs had ever seen. And the DA was a man. He said, this is Janine Pirro. She's running this new uh, a pilot project in the country. And, you know, she wants to tell you about what the law is, when you have to make an arrest, blah, blah, blah. So I was sitting there and a couple of the chiefs said, um, honey, can you get me a cup of coffee before you start? Now, I could have done one of two things. I could have said, you know, buzz off in worse terms, mm -hmm. or I could have said sugar and cream. Now, what I said was, sure, you want sugar and cream? No problem. I wanted to pour the coffee in his lap, hot. Did I? No. What I did was I shut them up. I shut them up and I made them realize that I wasn't some prima donna, that I was willing to work with them, that a female cop would have done that and I was gonna do it. And when I became a judge, the I was elect I was the first woman elected judge, okay? The judges, there wasn't even a ladies room for the female judges, there was a judge's bathroom with the urinals. So I'm coming off the bench, I'm saying to pee or not to pee. I'm, I can either go in the public bathroom where I just sentenced everybody's family member to jail or I could go in the, where the urinals are. I'm not going in there. Um, and, and the judges weren't talking to me and they weren't going to lunch. They were going out together. And you know they were like, these we're talking to older guys who had no use for me. And what I did, I cooked lunch for them one day. I said, hey guys, I'm making lunch. I made them a lunch. And after that, it was like, come on, Janine, come on, Janine, come on, Janine. I bought you, I bought you this, I bought you that, come on, Janine. Now, it was a different time. A lot of women would be angry and disappointed, but I knew the time and I knew what I had to do. That was it, one time, one time. And so you kind of take away their anger and then you call the shots and you be consistent with the shots you're not angry, you don't fly off the handle. You know, you don't, you don't say, you know, you're this, you're that, you talk about the case and you don't be in a situation where you dress someone down in front of other people. You have to be a, a warrior, but a happy warrior. And whatever those hurdles are where they don't even wanna talk to you, they don't wanna be with you, they'll look at, they'll look at you like you're not even there. How are you gonna get beyond that? You're gonna give them a lecture on equality? I don't think so. So I did what I had to do back then. And the respect was beyond for me with those guys. And when I left the bench and ran for DA, I was a judge, I was a superior court judge. I was elected, first woman elected, youngest woman elected. Then I ran for DA because it was in, it's in my butt, it's in my DNA, the law, law enforcement. And these, these uh, judges and the chiefs, they all respected me. It's about respect. Never forget when you're in a work setting as a woman that you maintain your dignity. All right. Now I'm not talking about, you know, you have to be some kind of prude, you know, I mean, I talk like a, like a drunken sailor. I work with cops for 32 years. Um, and my mother used to say to me, Janine, I did not raise you like that. <laughs> it was so sweet. I miss her. So anyway, rest in peace, mom. It's just two years. But um, you, you, you figure it out. You'll figure it out. And once you got their respect, then, then you're on your way. But sometimes it's a little tough getting it. 
Yeah. I, I love that you talk about your mom because my mom, she is like a silent warrior. She's not someone who would be in your face. So sometimes when she sees me, she's like, oh my, like she, <laughs> I know I make her smile inside. I know. And I know your mom is smiling over you and thinking like, you know, you're doing what I necessarily maybe couldn't do at that time. So right. I, I love that. Yeah. So I have, I have a question for you, you know, how do you, with all this information inside of you, you know, and this is where respect comes from there, there, there's an enormous amount of respect for you because of what you've been through the cases you've tried, the seriousness of the cases uh, you've handled and won for other victims, but then going into the world today where you still know, okay, I can't rest on those laurels. I have to take my skills and I have to fight the fight of freedom, which we are all fighting for in our own way. You know, and I believe that you, you uh, mentioned this quote too with Ronald Reagan saying that freedom is never more than one generation away from extinction. Can you elaborate why we all have to care about freedom? Because it's not, it's not an entitlement about, of being in America doesn't mean you'll always be free. You, we're free in this generation because of what people did in the past for us. And if we don't keep this up, it could slip away. Well, you know, the sentence that comes after that, that very famous quote of Ronald Reagan is that, and through history, uh, the countries that have lost that freedom have never gotten it back. Wow. And yeah, and uh, there is uh, a real problem. And, and I'll, again, I'll start with, you know, the small example of my daughter um, it, when, you know, she was in law school and she started in the corporate world. She's a she's an equity partner at a big law firm in the city. And she would tell me about some of the issues uh, with women and men in the office. I said to her, Kiki, that's, that's what we call her. I said, Kiki, we fought those fights. Your mother fought that fight 30 years ago. You're telling me they're still fighting that one? And to me, it is exactly what you're talking about and what Ronald Reagan was talking about. We're always on that, that edge right there where we can go backwards, which is why we have to maintain, you know, the, 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 the regimen, you know, the, 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 the ability to fight uh, in the event that that gets that wall gets broken down again. Now, when you look at a country like Venezuela, Venezuela, uh, which was on, uh, and, and I don't want to get political, I really don't, but it was on a United States senator's website uh, as a fabulous country, and it was a fabulous country, and it became a socialist country. It was very wealthy. The people lived the high life in Venezuela. It was beautiful. And then all of a sudden they turn to socialism and women are giving birth in the street. They're eating zoo animals. It's a mess. They don't have enough food. The government is torturing its own citizens and they'll never get it back. And what I see in the United States is the fear, the, this Marxism of, you know, Black Lives Matter, not the movement. I respect the movement. I put the first cop in the state of New York in jail for murder for killing a black man, a white cop for killing a black man. At the time, I didn't know that that was a big deal. It was a white cop who killed a black man. And, and I love cops. It was, a, it was a bad shoot and he had to go, okay? But what, what we're talking about 
is the fact that these, you know, in America, we can go backwards in a second. Black Lives Matter, the organization is Marxist. It doesn't believe in the nuclear family. It's now supporting Cuba, which is a Marxist, socialist, communist country. We've got, we've got the president asking the UN, China, Russia, Venezuela, Cuba, to assess whether or not we're a racist country to put the imprimatur of hate on the United States. You know, I can't control what goes on at certain levels, but what I can do is I can see the signs. And we've experienced it to a certain degree with the pandemic. We've become accustomed to saying when we could go to the supermarket and what aisles we can go in and where we can shop and whether we can go to church. That makes me crazy, makes me crazy. We are a nation founded on Judeo-Christian ethics. You're not gonna tell me, and the Supreme Court did this. The Supreme Court, in a case in uh, uh, stemming from Las Vegas about six months ago, issued a decision that all the multiplex theaters could open up in Las Vegas. All the casinos could open up in Las Vegas, but there was a little church, I think it was called a chapel, that couldn't open up for more than 49 people. So you could have thousands of people in a casino, hundreds and hundreds in a movie theater, but don't you dare go to church in numbers of more than 49. You know, we're right at that edge, and I worry about that, and that's why we have to be alert to what's going on. We got prosecutors saying we're not going to prosecute crime. That will be that will be the destruction of our society. Where there is no law and order, there is chaos and anarchy. And where you've got police defunded, demoralized with a target on their back, that's the beginning of the end. So, you know, to me, you know, I can do these, you know, I can go out there and make these calls, but it's up to the electorate to decide in 2022 how it's going to happen. And 1619, uh, you know, I I've never heard of anything so crazy in my life. We're teaching kids that America is a country steeped in racism that began as a, as a racist, oppressive society. And in America, the color of your skin determines whether you're a victim or an oppressor. Enough of this stuff. We're great. I want my kids to know that they're great, that there's every possibility in this beautiful country to be whatever you want, you can be the president. Yes, it's it's such a powerful message. And I believe that, you know, especially mothers, uh, I, I have a science background. I wanted to be a doctor. I was studying to be a doctor and then I got recruited in the financial industry. Now I'm in insurance. And so I never knew anything about government or politics, but when you have children, Judge, you yeah. really start to look at the world in, in a different light where you're not just thinking about yourself, you're thinking about what world, what country will my children grow up in as Americans? Because, you know, when I came to the US uh, 16 years ago, there was something about crossing that border that was like, you, you almost felt like there was the sea was parting for you. And it was like, okay, I have nothing holding me back. Yep. And just that feeling, you know, mm -hmm. I've, I've experienced resistance. We all will experience our own forms of resistance, but you, you have to see opportunity and not problems. And I want to raise my children to understand that. And I want them to know that America is, 
you know, when you think of America, think of freedom and opportunity, nothing else. Yep. So I love to get there and, and do your dance, whatever yeah. the dance is. Yes. So as a, as a person who's so strong, I love this story in your book and you know, your book is so good because I was reading this and you made it enjoyable. You took some hot and heavy topics and you made it enjoyable because for me reading and understanding all of this, and that's why I encourage everyone, you know, you may think, you know, but maybe you have no idea. And that's why you've done the hard work of breaking it down, doing the research, but when you read this stuff, you make it enjoyable. You made me laugh, you know, as I'm reading this, which I appreciated, um, but it's very serious. And there was one part where you were in the Oval Office and you oh, yeah. had Mike Pence, you know, you the killer dog was there, Conan, and he had just killed an ISIS terrorist leader, uh, al-Baghdadi, and then you walk in there and you're, you're, you're saying, I got to compose myself, but I want to go with this dog. And he, Mike Pence then says, you know, everybody loves judge Janine, but nobody knows how tough she is in a room full of generals. She goes up to the killer dog and rubs his ears and says, you're so cute. And they were all backed off from the dog. So as a woman, you know, we have something different inside of us. You know, that's why I love when men and women can start to work together. We don't have to say like, we're the same because the beauty isn't in us being the same. I don't want to be a man. And, you know, I love strong men, but women have something different inside, like where we can connect with the dog where the generals were even like, nope, not they were, coming yeah. <laughs> they were backed up against the wall in the Oval Office. Yeah. And I was like, uh-uh. So in fact, the back of the book has a picture of the dog. Yes, I, yeah. I love it. I, I love that dog. I really yeah. did. <laughs> How yeah. do you be so strong, but then still, you know, be a woman that can make everything understandable and you're still so relatable, which is what I think is very commendable for someone who's as distinguished as you are. Well, first of all, I don't believe I'm distinguished. I think I'm just Janine. Uh, and (laughs) (laughs) um, I'm just me. I'm just me. Look, I I grew up in a small town. I worked in a dairy, Uh, you know, when it's all said and done, you know, we're all just who we started as. And I I've never taken uh, myself seriously and I take what I do seriously. Uh, And uh, that day when Conan was in the Oval and I had called the president several times, I said, you know, Mr. President, you got to bring the dog in. He said, why do I have to bring the dog in? I said, Mr. President, you got to bring the dog in. America loves a dog. Then he calls, he says, he says, uh, Molly calls and she says, the dog's still on a mission. Okay. The dog was uh, injured. I said, okay. So then I kept calling. Finally, they brought the dog in and they have all these handlers, you know, who who were there and uh, they were on the mission. And uh, with Abu Bakar al-Baghdadi. And uh, yeah, they were tough guys. And I walked in and because the president said, where's where's Judge Janine? I walk in and oh, the whole place, the whole oval, the men of dark suits and generals and this one and that one. And I kind of, uh, and I saw this dog and I was like, I want to go over. And I, I just said, may I approach the dog? And then I just walked over and grabbed his ears. <laughs> 
Uh, I'm a dog lover. I mean, I've had pigs. I had two pigs, pot-bellied pigs that lived with my kids and, and us. They were outside uh, because I read Charlotte's Web to my kids, you know, and uh, Charlotte's Web had uh, Wilbur, the pig. So my mm -hmm. kids said, I want a pig. I was a guilty working mom. I said, OK, we'll get two. And uh, the kids left, the ex left, everybody left. It was me and the pigs. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, uh, life, life, is, uh, life can be a happy thing. Uh, it can be very painful too. Uh, you have to see the humor. You have to see the humor. You have to help people. You have to help yourself first. You have to make sure that you're okay and make sure that, that, you know, that you're aware of, you know, what the opportunities are and if you can fulfill yourself and get to where you want to be, it's the happiest time and the happiest place on earth. Right. How, how did you uh, not let power get to your head? Because when I look at leaders and, you know, I can see a leader about to fall. It happens in the business world, right? To me, like government is a reflection of what could happen to companies as they grow larger and larger. They almost, we see this with these large companies, they become like their own little governments. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, you know, in the business world, you see certain people rise to power and then power starts to overtake them yeah. and they forget about where they come from, what really matters to them about fighting the good fight, mm -hmm. you know? So what do you, what did you do to keep yourself in check to make sure that you were, you talked about this moral compass and you talk about drawing the line, but is there anything that you could give in advice for younger people that they care to make a difference? They care to be a leader, but a leader for the right causes, the right purpose and never letting power get to your head where you're, you start hurting the people yeah. you're leading and, and you're no longer helping them. You know, the interesting thing is that uh, I, I never really considered myself a person in power, although as a DA and as a judge, you really have the ultimate power. And that mm -hmm. is to indict, to jail, uh, to send someone to prison. Uh, it is a very powerful position, but in the scheme of things or in, in public office or higher positions, but I think in law enforcement, I mean, you have the right to take away someone's civil liberties. Um, I think the way to remember uh, that, that you are still that, that young girl who came to America, or I'm still, you know, Janine watching Perry Mason as a kid in Elmira and working at a dairy, is that all power is rented. You don't own it. You rent it. And one day you will be without that power. So don't ever convince yourself that you are the power. The job, the position, the title is the power. You're just a temporary occupant. Get that through your thick skull. And as soon as you do, you'll start treating people with respect. You'll start having a bit of a sense of humor and you'll start not taking yourself seriously, but your job serious. Seriously, power is rented. You're nothing more than a tenant. I love that. I love that. You know, just um, tying everything up in in our in our discussion today. You know, I think I go back to Ellie Wiesel because yeah, you know, I loved Ellie. I knew Ellie, uh, and I had the opportunity to spend time with him. What a wonderful man! Wonderful. Right. And, and when you think about what he endured as a human being, what his eyes 
saw, saw. you know, and when he says, he says his powerful words, he has these powerful phrases that he says, but he says the opposite of love is not hate, but indifference. So we can't give our power away, you know, and this is what people need to understand. We are all individually very, very powerful, you know, and, and God bestows certain levels of power to certain people do well with it because you don't want to, you don't want to not do anything. You don't want to become indifferent. You know, you don't want to sit on the sidelines as things are deteriorating, which is what he witnessed with the Holocaust, you know, and, and what he said in his book was he wanted someone to come and help. And, and I love that you judge, you remember this, like you remember those victims, no one was there to help them. So you were there in that time where someone is saying, I just want someone to come and help me right now. And so why do we as Americans, why do we have to take it seriously to fight the good fight where we can't be indifferent? We do have to care. We do have to get involved. We have to support the good. And evil is a real thing. Yeah. Evil is a very real thing. Well, because there are people in power for whom power uh, is, is a corrupting influence who don't see it the way I see it. Uh, you know, there are people in power who will to attain their own goals and their own ends, whether they be ego driven or financial or whatever it may be, some kind of, you know, idealistic uh, um, society that we don't agree with, that the country's founders didn't, uh, didn't uh, agree to. I mean, you, you've got to make sure that you are cognizant of what they're doing and cognizant of the fact that, you know, as soon as they start to stumble or start to go in a different direction that you're heard. And I'm not really answering your question, but it is, you know, for me, a, it, it, it's, it's always being aware. It's always making sure that we hold their feet to the fire. If we don't do that, then they're going to run with it. And this country will change in a, in a matter of, of seconds. Uh, and it can. Many people think it has already changed that children are being taught uh, in schools, uh, you know, CRT, this critical race theory, uh, that, uh, you know, that Marxism and socialism, 50% of the kids in college think socialism is a good thing. They have no idea what it is or what it's about. They just the think, world. oh, everybody's Travel the world. Travel the world, like you. Um, but, you know, w with an Ellie Wiesel and, you know, what you've seen, and you made a comment, and I, I was going to say the same thing. You look in his eyes, and it's almost like a mirror to what he's seen. You can see the pain and the sorrow and the hurt and the disappointment. And it could be very easy for us to lose our step in this country because there are people in charge who don't care about us. You know, Ronald Reagan would never have tolerated a country uh, going in the direction that we're going. But unfortunately, that's where we are. Right. And, and I believe that, you know, uh, that we will win the good fight. I do believe that good always prevails, but there has to be some strong warriors on the side of good, which we do have. There are strong warriors on the side of good. You know, Judge, I just want to say that, you know, for what you've done uh, in your contributions, your, your offering to the world, it's really, really much appreciated as a woman 
you know, I, it's very rare that you can find other women that really, really get, you know, the fire that burns inside of you. And sometimes I feel like you're an aunt in my family that I'm like, ah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I see uh, the fire in you. I see the passion in you. I see the success in you, you know, and I see just from your questions that you have the ability to distinguish, you know, the nonsense from the truths. So, I mean, kudos to you and kudos to everything you're doing. And, and also when you said you came here, did you say 16 years ago? You know, I had the ability as a judge to, you know, swear in, uh, people as naturalized citizens. And it was one of the happiest days of, of the month for me because uh, I was always you know, involved in the ugliest side of life. And uh, it was happy. I mean, I was so proud of the newly naturalized citizens with the flags and they learned American history and they, you know, they pledged allegiance to the United States. So you know, God bless you for what you did. God bless you for doing it the right way. Uh, and unfortunately, you know, that's not what's happening anymore. Uh, and, uh, so I commend you for what you're doing and how you're doing it. Well, we got to swing the pendulum in the other direction and, and it will. And it's people that are like you that stand alone, that find the courage, because as I, you know, start to open this door into really understanding what's going on. You know, the first thing that comes to my mind is don't insult my intelligence. Right. You're right. When I watch like the news, I never watch the news, but when I turn it on, you know, I'm just like, are you kidding me? What is happening right now? And, and you really think about people that watch this and believe this and you're like, they do. Yeah. And that's why people have to read. They have to read because reading goes in depth. You know, when you're on the news, it's just very surface. And But your, your show, Justice with Judge Janine, I love it because you can see the work that goes into building that case instead of just repeating the same things. So, well, I yeah, and, you know, people, if you give them the facts, they'll make the right decision. Yes. Uh, but if they don't have the facts, then they're, they're ready to believe anything. <laughs> unfortunately. I love it. So, you know what? No one should lie to you. I love the title. <laughs> don't lie to me. Cause I would put, do not, I always say this to people do not insult my intelligence. <laughs> <laughs> you know, when people are talking and you're like, uh, no, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, for, for what you've done for humanity, I just want to say thank you so much and keep fighting the good fight. I'm going to join you in this fight for the good fight because I care about what the next generation walks into. And I owe it to what this country gave to me to make it be, you know, something that my children, you know, as Americans have this deep sense of pride for, for where they were gifted the ability to be born. So thank you so much for your time. God bless you always. And thank you for standing alone and not listening to noise, but sticking to what is right. I love it so much. God bless you. Right back at you. All right. Thank you so much. And good luck to you. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to Stand Alone. If you like what you hear, I'd love if you leave a five-star review. To keep the conversation going, you can find me at I am Sabrina Lloyd or at Lloyd Agencies on Facebook and Instagram.